Hey, it's Coley, and you're listening to Still With You. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Still With You. If you have been listening to the podcast at all, then you already know this friend who is speaking today. Her name is Tori Osborne. She is a NICU nurse in the Pensacola area, but she has an overflowing passion for the Dominican Republic. On episode 10, I was speaking with her and she casually mentions that she might be going to the Dominican Republic for the entire summer. And guys, that actually happened. So before you continue listening, if you want to get the backstory, stop right now and go listen to episode 10, Tori's story, then come back to this episode and continue listening. So this episode is a little bit different because I'm actually not going to be speaking at all. Tori, after visiting the Dominican for the summer, came home and did a Facebook Live. I drove all around Pensacola one Sunday morning listening and just like bawled my eyes out while I was just hearing her speak. And I asked her, I was like, Tori, we have to share this. This is so good. And she agreed and she allowed me to use it on this episode. So please enjoy this episode with the girl that I call my life inspo, hearing all about her experiences in serving in the Dominican Republic this summer. You will not regret listening to this episode. I actually am just moved by it every time. Again, welcome to the show, my friend, Tori Osborne. Hey, guys. I'm so excited to be able to share with you guys tonight. Hello, everybody. Say hi when you guys jump on so I know who's on here. But I just pray that you guys just really just hear my heart and are just encouraged by my story and that I'm just able to share just what the Lord has been able to do in the past couple months in the Dominican Republic. But my biggest prayer is honestly that you guys just don't see me in any of it all, but you just are able to see just how big our God is and just what he's able to do through us when we're just a vessel for him because it honestly is all him and he truly just gets all the glory for everything that happened um, this summer. And so I'm just going to go ahead and get started. Okay, so I wrote down some of my most frequently asked questions. And so I'll go over those first. And my biggest question that I got by pretty much everybody was why the Dominican Republic and how did that happen? Because I work full time and I left for two and a half months. Honestly, like that is just the Lord. So Last year, um, last June, we went with a group to the Dominican Republic. And when we went, we actually went as a medical team to set up medical clinics there. Um, and we happened to have three NICU nurses with us, which wasn't anything planned to go to the hospital. But when uh, they heard that we were there, they asked if we could come do education with their NICU. We had the opportunity to go ahead and visit the facility in the hospital. But honestly, and I know I've said this before, but I just didn't know what I was going to be walking into that time. I knew it was just going to be a under-resourced hospital in a third world country. Like you can picture it in your mind, but to just know to the extent of what I was about to walk into, I had no idea until I got there. And when we got there, it was honestly the most helpless feeling I've ever felt. When we walked in, we just saw like they don't have monitors for their babies. They didn't have blankets for their babies. They didn't have IV poles or IV 
pumps. They didn't have anything. They had equipment um, as far as radiant warmers and isolates, but they were broken and not working right. The two babies that were in there while we were there was a term baby who was cold because she didn't have a blanket on top of her. She wasn't getting any heat. From the radiant warmer that was broken and she was under a respiratory support called an oxy hood that was just blowing cold air on her so she was so cold and when we took her temperature it was 92 degrees and that temperature just really isn't sustainable with life uh, it was just an opportunity that we knew that we needed to use for education for those nurses and the other baby that was there was a little baby named Adiel, and he was a 28 weeker and when i walked up to him he just didn't have any expansion of his lungs. You could just tell that he was just struggling to breathe. They didn't have the respiratory support required to help him. They were using bubble CPAP, but the way that it was set up wasn't correct, and so it wasn't actually giving him the respiratory support that he needed. And so just standing over that baby, um, I just remember it being the most helpless feeling that I've ever had in my entire life, and I just felt like I knew everything that that child needed but I didn't have it to give to him. And so I just honestly stood over that baby and just prayed over him and left after we did education with the nurses that day, left knowing that we could do more, that we could help them and that they didn't have to be losing as many babies as they were. Because that was two babies in one day while we were there last year. And so that was a lot. I carried it home with me. Um, and really, I just felt like after I left that I left my heart there like completely and I know a lot of you know that um, from that story that I've shared before. Um, but I just really felt like I needed to go back and that there was more that we were going to be able to do for them. We were actually just planning on going back for a week this June with the same group through all of Baptist Church. And we were going to go back and set up medical clinics again. And it was actually like March when I was going through a Bible study. Um, it's called Watch the Ramparts. And it's just six weeks of just pressing in with the Lord, just prayer, fasting, just seeing what he's like speaking to you, praying through God-sized dreams. That was one of the first things we were encouraged to do by Tracy, and it was to write down our God-sized dreams as we were going throughout this Bible study. And one of the very first things the Lord spoke to me after starting that study, like, just what if you stayed in the Dominican for the summer? At first, honestly, I was a little bit resistant to even write it down because my first thought was, what? Like, stay in the Dominican for the whole summer? I don't think that would be possible. Like, I work full time. There's so much that would need to happen for that even to be possible. But he just kept pushing it on my heart and I couldn't get away from the thought, like, what if I did stay for the summer? So I wrote it down. It was the very first thing on my God-sized dreams list that I was praying through is staying in the Dominican Republic for the summer. And so after praying over that and having Tracy pray through that with me, I was finally just like, okay, Lord, like if this is what you want me to do, like it's only going to be because of you that I'm able to do that. Because just think about working full time. I live by myself. And so I have bills. I was getting ready to start grad school this coming fall. And so I was just like, I don't know how that's going to happen. I pay rent. Um, like I have student loans. I'm still trying to pay off. But I was like, okay, Lord, but if it is something that you want me to do, would you just open the doors and I'm just going to be obedient and just taking the steps. And so I was honestly just walking through it in complete darkness and just asking the Lord to just take me by the hand and just show me the way. And so he honestly revealed stuff to me step by step. Like I didn't know what God was planning until he revealed the very next step to me. So I didn't know in advance anything. 
And the first thing he really laid on my heart was I needed to take the first step and talk to my manager at work. And so I did. And our manager at the time was very supportive and told me that I could take a leave of absence. And that was a thing. And that she would approve it for me. And she t- gave me the steps on how to apply for a leave of absence. So after I got the go-ahead from management at work, I was like, okay, well now I guess I need to talk to my landlords because how am I going to afford rent for two, three months? Like while I'm gone, I was like, I just got to just share this with them. So I did. And honestly, the, the Lord just blessed me with the best landlords I could have ever asked for. And they heard me out. They heard my heart behind it. And they were just like, Tori, like, we don't want to be the reason that you don't do what God is calling you to do. And so I was like, wow, like I was not expecting for them to be so on board. And they honestly were just like, we're going to do whatever it takes to be able to work it out with you so that you can go and that this isn't the reason that you don't go. And so they were so gracious in that. And I'm so unbelievably grateful. And I just know that it was just the Lord's hand over it all because without him, like, Just none of that would have even been possible. I already had my plane ticket to come back after a week. I had been planning just to stay for a week. There's a lot of things that I needed to talk through with the organization we were going through, One More Child. So it was the week before Easter. So we're getting into April and we're supposed to leave June 1st. And so like I called Caesar and he was like our in-country contact through One More Child in the Dominican Republic. And he was going to be there like during our trip for a week. And so I called him and told him my heart and told him just what God had been speaking to me and what I felt like the Lord was asking me to do. And so he was so on board with it and told me he would talk to somebody else like at their office and then just let me know how it was going to work because we were so getting ready to leave like so soon. So it took him a couple weeks to get back to me. But once he did, He told me that I would be able to go to the Dominican as an intern. And then through that, like I would be able to go to the hospital every day and that I'd have an interpreter with me and that I would be able to teach and to educate those nurses, which is what I was wanting to do to begin with. And so I was just so blown away by the Lord just opening up those doors so quickly during a time when I just was so unsure of what the future was going to hold with all of this. I would just really just surrendered it all to the Lord. And it was my prayer that he just show up through it all and that he just used me as just an empty vessel. That, you know, my life just wasn't my own and I just wanted him to use me however he felt necessary. And that was actually my prayer during our fast at the beginning of the year. And so I just wanted him to use me however he wanted to. And I just wanted to go wherever he led me. And so I was just so humbled that he chose me to use me. But just so reminded that through it all that the Lord, the only thing he asked for is an obedient and willing heart. That's the only thing that he asked for. It doesn't matter your past, what you're going through right now. If you have a humble and an obedient heart and you want the Lord to use you, he wants to use you more than you want him to use you. So just that willingness he's going to take and he's going to bless and he's going to come through because the Lord is faithful. And so that's his word that's written. He's faithful and he's going to be faithful in it. And you know, one of the verses, like just going through this, that was just, speaking to me a lot, and I just want to read it to you guys. Um, I just was so unsure of my steps in all of this. I was so unsure of where the Lord was leading me, and I just was really in a place of complete dependence on Him, and I wasn't sure of why He was using me. Just the passages that resonated the most at the very beginning of this for me was the story of Moses in Exodus, 
And it was one that I just kept going back to, right? Because you have Moses. God chooses Moses to go and save the Israelites. And Moses is like, why me, right? Like, why? Like, I can't do this. And that's honestly like how I felt at the beginning of this when the Lord asked me to go and stay in the Dominican. I was like, maybe somebody else is more qualified than I am. There's plenty of other people who are more qualified than I am. Like, why do you want to use me? Like, I'm sure you can pick somebody else who's much better, who will do a much better job. But just like God was so gracious with Moses through all that and be like, well, I am with you. And that was my favorite thing that just stuck out to me was that the Lord just kept reminding Moses every time that Moses was like, not me, like, I can't do it, but God. And God was like, but God, but I am with you. So you can do this because I am with you. And he provided everything that Moses needed along the way. And so I just knew that story was not only just a story from the Old Testament, but it was also the story that was taking place in my life right at that moment. But Mark chapter 4, verse 22, it says, For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. And that's just the truth. Like, the Lord wants to reveal himself to you. And the more that you're seeking him, the more that you're seeking his will, he is going to reveal himself to you. I mean, it says, for there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. And so he wants nothing more than to to just reveal those things to you. That was just what I was able to just rest in, just rest in his word, knowing that as long as I continued to seek it, him through all of this, all of the pieces were going to fall together. And they did. And I was just praying for open doors and closed doors so that the Lord would just go and open doors that were of him and would just close doors that weren't. He honestly honored that prayer tenfold and just opened up so many doors for me to be able to get to the Dominican. So that is how it all happened. And that is why I ended up back in the Dominican for a month. And so it ended up being back. Caesar came back and said that I could spend the month in the Dominican. But then there was also an opportunity to go to Guatemala for a month. And so it was completely different than my plan of just going to the Dominican. And I really wasn't sure why the Lord was leading me to Guatemala. But I was so sure after I prayed about it that that's where the Lord was leading me. So again, like just walking in the unknown, but just having faith in it and just trusting in that season of just unknown but complete dependence because it was such a sweet place to be, to be that dependent on the Lord and just to see him meet every single need that I had, even ones that I didn't even realize that I had, but that he would just come through and he was just beside me every step of the way that he had gone before me and made a way and just made my path so straight. And he was going to show me that path as long as I just kept my eyes fixed on him and It was just such a beautiful thing to be able to walk through with the Lord. Long story, but that is how I ended up in the Dominican. Our first week there, I had a couple of other NICU nurses with me. And so we got to go to the hospital all together and then do clinics. And so the clinics were just an amazing opportunity to reach so many people in such a short period of time. So in four days of doing those medical clinics, we saw over 700 patients, which was amazing to see that many patients. And just get to not only meet the physical need that they had, but also the spiritual needs that they had. Our first week there, we had 25 confessions of faith. 25 confessions of faith. Okay, it's just saying that never gets old because that was amazing. It was definitely a season of just reaping the harvest of what other people had been sowing into. And the Lord just blessed us to be able to just see a glimpse into that harvest. And it was so amazing to see all those people come to know the Lord. Just opened my eyes to what a great opportunity medical clinics really are. 
to reach so many people in such a short period of time, um, but get to pray over them and get to spend time with each one individually and just let the Lord lead those conversations. And just, it honestly was like 25 confessions of faith. Like I can't stop saying that. It just makes my heart want to burst with excitement. That was the Lord. That is what he did in just our first four days in the Dominican. So my prayer going into it, if you heard me talk about it before I left and while I was there, it was just Lord surprised me. Because his surprises are so sweet and such like confirmation that that's where you're supposed to be. And he can do abundantly more and he does abundantly more than anything we could even think or imagine. And so I was like, Lord, surprise me. Like any surprises you have up your sleeve, like I want more of them. I want more of your surprises. And that he We also had three of our team members baptized. Like our team members that went down there with us were baptized that very first week in a river in the Dominican Republic. Like it was just an incredible week to just start off the summer and just see God's hand in every single detail of it all. And that was one thing that just spoke so loudly to me that our God is just so big and he really does just go before us. But he's also such a God of the details. It's just Every single tiny detail he was a part of, and he's so intimate and personal with each of us, even though he's so big. And it's so neat to just see that in not just my life, but in the life of of others who were on the trip and the lives of those who are in the Dominican and just how he's seeking them. He, there's everybody there is just so sought after and he's pursuing them and he loves them so much to bring in teams like us to go and minister to them, right? Those first four days were honestly just Beyond words, just so incredible. And I just had such high expectations for what God was going to be doing for my time just in the Dominican. And so the second week that I was there, I got to just be in the hospital every day from there on out. And so one of the questions that like, I got the most of was what was the biggest need that I saw when I was there? Going into it, and as I said in like the beginning of this live was that last year we saw a need for blankets and so going into it this year they still didn't have any blankets and so the babies they didn't have clothes on they didn't have blankets and premature babies cannot regulate their own temperatures so they have no heat source and nothing to be swaddled and to help keep them warm and so just walking in and seeing those babies not being covered in blankets that broke my heart and I was like that is a physical need that we can meet immediately was blankets and because of all of you guys who were so kind and generous to donate money we were able to raise money to buy all the supplies to make blankets and so after that first week of raising money to get the supplies to make blankets we were able to go to the capital to Santo Domingo and buy a bunch of material in the town that we were at in the community that we were in Oswa the community that One More Child built is built around the church. And so right in the middle is a church. In that church, they actually have a sewing ministry for those women. And that's a newer ministry that started up in the last, I want to say, year or so. Don't quote me on that. How great for them to have that sewing ministry. And then Caesar's idea was, why don't we use that sewing ministry to make the blankets for these children, for these babies in the NICU? That's what we were able to do. We were able to get the material and bring it to the church for the women in the sewing ministry to be able to be a part of. And this is just how cool God is. So the woman who leads the sewing ministry, I didn't know her. I hadn't been able to talk to her. I didn't know anything about her. And so we bring her this material for these blankets and asking her, is this something that you would be willing to do? Well, come to find out her son, I want to say it's a son. It might be a daughter, but I want to say it's her son. 
was in the NICU in Oswald. And so she firsthand saw the need for the blankets when her son was in the NICU. And now he's home and he's healthy and he's thriving. And we're so thankful for that. But she was able to just just catch on to that vision of getting them blankets because she had been through it. And so I just felt like that was just the Lord just putting her in our path and that she could just understand at such a personal level of why they needed these blankets because her son was there and he needed the blankets when he was there. So she offered to make the blankets on her time off because she understood the need that deeply. And so that was just such an incredible thing to see. Like I said, like God is just such a God of the details. He really did just show up in that way as well. The blankets were a big need. And so once we got that, the other biggest need that I saw was the need for resuscitation. I'll kind of explain that a little bit. I know a lot of you guys have asked for me to just share some stories that I was able to just witness and be a part of in the Dominican. The first day that I was in the hospital after that first team left the first week. So this is going into our second week. I was like, I would like to go to a C-section. And so told the nurses, I had an interpreter there with me and they told me that we were on the second floor of the hospital, but they told me they normally have C-sections on the second floor, but for some reason that day they weren't able to and they needed to have the C-sections on the third floor. So separate floor from the NICU, mind you, there's no elevator. So there is an elevator, but it's broken, so it didn't work. And so we walk up to the third floor and they take me back to the OR. And by this time, like the mom's already on the table. She is getting ready, like they're getting ready to start her C-section. My interpreter, bless his heart, does not like the sight of blood. And so he didn't feel like he could go in there with me. And so I go into the OR by myself. I don't speak a lick of Spanish. And I'm in there with just everybody who speaks Spanish, like the doctors and the nurses, and I have no way to communicate with them. So we get in there and they're starting the c-section and i'm looking around and you guys like there is nothing i know everybody on here is not medical but in our delivery rooms we have a radiant warmer we have an ambu bag in case the baby's not breathing we have blankets for the babies to dry them off with like we have everything just right at our fingertips and i'm looking around and there's absolutely nothing I had brought supplies with me for the NICU, but I did not realize that there was going to be nothing when I walked up there. And at this point, like they're already cutting her open, so I don't have time to get anything. And so I'm just praying that this baby comes out okay. And I had told them, I'm just here to observe the C-section. I just want to see like how your procedures go, like how this is going to go. I just want to observe. Pretend like I'm not here. And so the baby comes out, and I'm just praying this baby's going to breathe because I quite literally have absolutely nothing if this baby's not breathing. The baby comes out. He's breathing. Thank the Lord for that answered prayer. And they lay him down, and they had clamped the cord. And the C-section in the Dominican is completely different than our C-sections in America. It's not sterile at all. Their instruments were not sterile. Instead of draping them with sterile drapes, they draped the moms with a bed sheet. While I'm telling this story, just keep it in mind, nothing's sterile. So they lay the baby down. The cord is clamped with a cord clamp, similar to our kind of cord clamps. If you've ever seen a newborn baby, you've seen that little thing on their umbilical cord that clamps off their cord. Well, it keeps it from bleeding because in that cord is an artery. So just like you would cut a limb in an artery, like it, when you, if an artery bleeds, it bleeds out really quickly. And you have this little tiny baby that doesn't have a lot of blood volume inside of them. And so they lay this baby down and I'm standing there and this nurse is like looking at me to do something. And so I start drying this baby off. 
with paper. Like, I don't even know how to, it's like a brown paper because that's all that they had. They don't have anything to dry this baby off with. I was like, I need a blanket. I need something to dry this baby off with. And they're like, no, no, no. Well, I turn around to go look at the C-section and what they were doing with the mom. I turned back around and his cord clamp had come off. And so he was just bleeding. It was just like a waterfall. I'm sorry, this is TMI for some of you who are not medical, but it was just like a waterfall of blood coming out of his umbilical cord. So at that point, I'm just like, oh my gosh, so I go to grab the bottom of like the stump of the umbilical cord. But at that point, there's blood just all over it. And so it's so slippery, you can't get like a good hold on it. And I'm looking at the nurse. Mind you, she doesn't speak English and I don't speak Spanish. And I'm trying to tell her like, I need you to hold this or I need you to get something to clamp this with. Because it's not like you can't get a good enough squeeze on it for it to completely stop bleeding. And so she has no idea what I'm saying. So finally I like grab her hand and just put it where my hand is. And I go over to their, their tray, their sterile tray, but it's not sterile. And I just grab a clamp off of it and I clamp it off. Baby stops breathing, but at this point the baby's lost like quite a bit of blood. That bled out so quickly and it took a minute for me to be able to like get a cord clamp and or a clamp even because they don't even have normally their c-sections are on another floor so they didn't have any other umbilical cord clamp this baby at this point is pretty pale because he just lost quite a bit of blood and he's grunting he's having trouble breathing and the nurse looks at me this is the only thing that she knew in english and she didn't actually know what it meant like the context of it but she just knew these words and so she goes, are you ready? You ready? And I was like, am I ready for what? And she's like, baby, like, you ready? And I'm just like, what does she want me to do with this baby? But this baby needs to go to the NICU. And I was like, I need a blanket. I need a, a blanket. And so I'm like trying to point to something to tell them I need a blanket. And so she goes and she gets me a bed sheet. Fine. Like, totally fine with it. And I wrap the baby up with it. And then she like looks at me and she goes, you ready, baby? You ready? And I was like, I'm still so confused. Like, what do you want me to do with this baby? And so she picks up the baby and just, like, hands it to me. And I was like, okay, so are we going to the NICU now? Like, I um, are we walking to the NICU? And so we do. I just, like, walk out with the baby. And at this point, the baby was starting to get a little bit blue. So I was just didn't even care what she was doing anymore. I was like, we've got to get this baby to the NICU. It's so surreal because we don't do this in the States. And this was, like, my first c-section in the dominican that i had been to but you just kind of do what you gotta do so i'm just like walking down the hall with this baby like walking fast because this baby at this point is like grunting pretty significantly his color wasn't the best and so i take him straight down to the nicu down the stairs with this baby in my arms it was such like a surreal moment and i didn't even like think about anything that i was doing until like after the fact and i was like that is so different than anything we would ever need to do in the United States. We go down, the baby ended up being perfectly fine, and he went home a couple days later. I realized at that point, like, they needed to know the importance of having the supplies in every single delivery that they need to resuscitate a baby. So that was put on my list like that day. That's something that I asked him about and we brought up supplies like into that C-section room in case there's any more C-sections that day. And so the next day, we get to the hospital I get to the NICU and they tell me they have another c-section and I have a different interpreter that day he is going to come with me to the c-section thank goodness he did and so we go back there and it's on the second floor just like it's supposed to be on the second floor and I wanted them to act like I wasn't there because I wanted to be able to assess what they know and work from there like education wise so I could just get like a base what do they know what do they don't know where do I need to focus education on type of thing and so this baby comes out, they're setting up, and I look, there's a radiant warmer. I go, now mind you, the radiant warmers inside of the NICU are broken. All Almost all of them are broken. They don't work like they're supposed to. 
So I go to check that radiant warmer to see if it works, and it looks like it works, but they also have heat lamps, old-fashioned heat lamps that get hot to the touch, and they put them, like, close by the baby. But because the warmer looked like it was working, I just moved it out of the way, so I didn't burn myself. They had, um, like, an oxygen tank, like a really large oxygen tank right there, and it looked like they had an AMV bag, like a, like a self-inflating AMV bag that you could hook up to oxygen, and it was underneath the radiant warmer. I saw it there, and I walked back in, and I just had this bad, like, gut feeling. When you just have, like, this gut feeling that maybe something's not going to go right. And because I had that feeling, and it was taking them a long time to get the baby out, I walked back into the room where the radiant warmer was, and I asked the nurse to set up the AMVO bag, so I knew that it was set up. That's all that they have. They don't have suction up to a wall to suction babies. A lot of times babies will have a lot of secretions in their throat and their lungs that you just can help them get out by suctioning out, but they don't have a suction machine. So the only thing I had was this AMV bag that looks like it would be okay. So I asked her to set it up and I go back into the delivery room. And at this point, they were the day I saw that the baby had the cord wrapped around his neck twice and they were having trouble getting it off. And so immediately I was like, this is not going to be good. And so they get the baby out, they lay him on top of the mother, and they're kind of just moving really slowly, and I'm looking at this baby who's pretty blue, and I was just like, okay, like, come on, like, I'm gonna need you to realize that this baby's not breathing, and have a sense of urgency, and let's get this moving. And so, finally, it was just taking them way too long, so I asked my translator to ask them to go ahead and cut the cord so we could get the baby to the radiant warmer because the baby wasn't breathing. And so they do, they cut the cord, they hand the baby to the nurse, and the nurse comes over and puts the baby on the radiant warmer. Well, at this point, the baby is completely just not breathing. So I'm asking my interpreter to tell them to get the ampu bag. And just I just realized in that moment that they just honestly didn't know what to do. But they wanted to know what to do. They just were never taught what to do when a baby comes out and they're not breathing. And that's just something that Every single nurse who works in a NICU in the States is going to know. They're going to know how to resuscitate a baby because that's their job. They didn't know. And so I just moved them out of the way. And I go to dry off the baby, see if he's going to start breathing just by stimulating him. He doesn't. Grab the AMBU bag. It's broken. It doesn't have, like, this valve on it that actually is able to deliver the breast of the baby. There's something, a piece on it that was missing. It wasn't working. And so at this point, this baby is so blue that his lips and his mouth were completely black. I don't know if I've ever seen a baby get to that point in a delivery where they're that blue and that their lips and their tongue are just completely black. And so I'm asking my interpreter to tell one of the nurses to go run to the NICU to get an AMBU bag, which is what we bag these babies with to help them breathe, to run as fast as she can. Well, she doesn't understand the sense of urgency, so she's walking. And so I'm asking my interpreter, I was like, I need you to ask her to run as fast as she can. So she runs over to the NICU and gets the AMB bag that I brought and brings it back. And we were able to hook it up and get this baby breathing, oxygenated and breathing only by the grace of God. As soon as he's pink, we take the baby over to the NICU and get him settled in the NICU. And so at that point is when I realized, like, they really don't know how to resuscitate. If I could do one thing for the month that I was there, it was going to be to teach them how to resuscitate. That's what I did. And so after that, I just started asking them questions. And so if I wasn't there, what would you have done for that baby? And this honestly just, like, broke my heart so much to know. But they told me. That sometimes babies just come out not breathing and that they're stillborn, which that can happen. You can have a baby that's stillborn 
But these were babies that just come out needing to be resuscitated. And that happens all the time in the United States. That's why NICU is present at every single C-section. Because they didn't know how to resuscitate. And they didn't know that they could resuscitate these babies who come out not breathing. And they would be fine afterwards. That After that initial resuscitation, they were, they were just letting them die. And it was just because... They were never taught. And that just broke my heart. And so once I told them that they needed to be resuscitated and that we could teach them how, you could almost just like see the look in their eyes of how much, like they know that they were losing babies way more than that they needed to. And just knowing that they could resuscitate, but they weren't being educated on how to resuscitate, you could just see that painful look in their eyes. I started talking with some of the physicians that were working um, in this hospital and their education is just completely different than any education that we receive in the United States. I was talking to one of the, the physicians and asking her. They don't, they had a ventilator, but it was broken. And so there was no way for it to work. It was donated by UNICEF. There was a part that was broken on it. And they never were trained on how to use it. And so I asked her what happens when they have a premature baby who needs to be intubated, who's not breathing on their own. And she had told me that when they're not breathing on their own, that that just means that they're brain dead. And I was like, what? She said that that was what they thought, that if they are not breathing on their own, that means that their brains aren't functioning and tell them to breathe. When in reality, a premature baby's just lungs aren't developed enough and they just need time. They need something to breathe for them during that transition period and while their lungs develop. And they have one of the medications that we give to our premature babies to help with their lungs and it's called surfactant. And they had it. They would intubate and give the surfactant, but then they would take the breathing tube out, and so they would extubate them, the babies. And if the baby wasn't breathing on his own, then they the baby died. The reason that they were extubating them instead of leaving them intubated and just breathing for them since they didn't have a machine was because they genuinely thought that that meant if that baby wasn't breathing, that that meant every single time that that baby didn't have any brain function. That broke my heart more than you guys even know, just to know that that was what they were being taught or that's what those doctors were being told from their training was that for premature babies, when they're not breathing, like that just means that they're brain dead and they're not. They just, they could live long, healthy lives if they just have that transition, that help during that transition and while their lungs are just developing a little bit. There's a lot of education that needed to happen and I was honestly a little bit overwhelmed to begin with because that's a lot to take in on just like your first couple of days there. Just realizing how deep the need is and just that I'm only just one person there. I just wasn't sure how you could teach everything that they needed to teach in a month and the honest truth is that you can't and that it's not only just education and that they need, but it's a change in culture for that hospital and for that unit that they were needing. Went back to our site or where we were staying and just really just had to pray about it and just ask God, like, okay, like I'm one person. Like, how can I do this? And the truth is that the Lord is just so much bigger than just one person because it wasn't me. It was just all him. He can do more in a minute than what we can do in a lifetime, okay? And so he just really, like, laid that on my heart and just spoke that to me that, like, it's not you, it's me. And I can do more in a minute than you could ever do in a lifetime. So just trust in me and just be obedient to what I'm asking you to do in the moment. And that's all I'm asking of you. The rest is up to me. It's not up to you. I was like, okay, you just show me, like, what you want me to teach them. And I knew it was resuscitation at that point. That's what we did for the rest of the, my time there, the rest of the three weeks was 
practicing resuscitation. And then one of the challenges I asked, I was asked about like, what challenges that I faced. And originally it was just, I had a lot of resistance with some of the nurses and it's asking them to do more work to learn how to resuscitate. But the alternative is that those babies are dying. Just getting to speak to each one of them individually, each one of those nurses about just the value of life. Like, because the truth is the Lord knew each and every single one of those babies before they were ever formed in their mother's womb. And he has such great plans for all of them. And it was never the Lord's intention or the Lord's heart to see that many mothers have to suffer the loss of their children when it's preventable. And that we could do something about it. And those nurses, like, that is their heart. Like, they don't want to see that many babies die. Like, they want to know how to save more babies. And once we got to sit down and just talk about, like, the value of life and how significant each one of those babies' lives truly was in the Lord's eyes, it just kind of changed everything. It changed their perspective, just how they were wanting to learn from the beginning. But I mean, we work long shifts and they, I know they work even longer and harder shifts because they deal with having to do what we do here in the States, but with so many less resources. And they do an amazing job with the resources that they're given because the truth is you can't work with what you don't have. One of the things that I learned while I was there when you don't have wall suction. I just thought this is for all my nursing people who are on this video. They truly are so resourceful. They were taking an NG tube and they put it down like down to their esophagus and then they would just take a syringe at the end of it and slowly pull out the NG tube and like pull back on the syringe. So they were getting the secretions that were stuck in the throat. To clear the airway, be, like where the bulb section, like where your little bulb section wouldn't reach. That is so resourceful since they don't have a wall section that they were able to set it up. They were able to like, I don't know, work around that. Honestly, that would have never crossed my mind to do that. But how great that they just think outside of the box all of the time. That was really cool. So one of the things that we ended up setting up for these nurses was resuscitation boxes and that it's like a box that has every supply that they would need to resuscitate a baby. And it looks like a little toolbox. I think I might have posted like a picture of it and my pictures from the Dominican. But we have them in our unit. We take them to twin deliveries. It literally just looks like a toolbox. Inside is just everything that they need. That way they have something that they can take with them to deliveries. And they have an area that all of their supplies are going to be in. So like their ambu bag, their syringes, their NG tubes, their laryngoscope handles and ET tubes, a hat for the baby. Keeping the babies warm was a big, that was like the culture of the unit. We provided blankets, but then they didn't understand the importance of keeping the babies warm. And so really cool moment for me was it was week three. And so for three weeks, I had been honestly every single day, I mean, like every baby needs to be in a blanket. Every baby needs to be warm. We need to be taking temperatures because they weren't even taking temperatures. They didn't have thermometers. We bought thermometers when we bought the supplies for the blankets to give to them. We gave them the thermometers that they needed. And we're just going over on why you need to take their temperature. You know, why it's so important to take it every three hours, making sure that those babies are warm and what's going to happen when they get cold. For three weeks, every day, that's what we talked about, along with resuscitation, was keeping the babies warm. But every day when I came in, there was at least one or two babies. And it's a really small unit. I know some of you guys are trying to picture it in your head. It's a very small room, and maybe with 
six beds in it. There's normally like four, five, six babies in there, just depending. So every day I would go in, there'd be at least one or two babies who didn't have a blanket on them, they don't have clothes on them, and they were cold, like their temperature was actually cold. That third week, I came in, I saw the nurses like say something to my interpreter that day, but they didn't tell, they didn't translate it, so I had no idea what they said. And so I say hi to them, and then I walk inside like to the actual unit. They actually don't stay in there with the babies, they sit outside the unit, they're not always in there. And so they weren't in there, and so I walked in there with to see the babies for the day. And I walk in, and every single baby was in a blanket. Every single baby. And it was three weeks in, and the first time I had walked in and seen that. But they were so excited for me to see that every baby was in a blanket. So I walk back out, and I'm crying, obviously. And I'm, like, about to start crying now just to think just how happy that made my heart to just see some of the fruit from what I had been teaching them. Just seeing it. It was such a amazing moments for me to know that all those babies were warm and all those babies had blankets wrapped around them and so that was really amazing and I walk back out and my interpreter's like you saw the blankets and I'm like yes I saw the blankets and he goes yeah they said that you're gonna be really excited when you walked in and saw all the blankets and I was like I am that's amazing you guys are doing such a great job that truly was one of the best moments on that trip. I was just seeing those babies warm and in blankets. And so praying that that continues as we continue to make sure that they have blankets. I just want you guys to know that is because of everybody who donated to those blankets that that was able to happen. And without you guys and without your support, I wouldn't have been able to go to begin with. But also the supplies that we were able to get for that unit, we would have never been able to get. So all of you who are watching who donated, I cannot thank you enough for donating because it truly makes such an impact and not only an impact, but those blankets are saving those babies' lives because without a blanket, those babies were getting cold and they were dying. And so because of your generosity, because you were able and willing and obedient to what the Lord had laid on your heart to give, that's what we were able to do with that money that you gave to us. And that's what is able to just happen. And it's not just a one-time thing, but those blankets are going to be continued to be used for years down the road. I just hope you guys know how truly grateful we are that you donated and how much of an impact it seriously is making. Thank you guys all so much for that. Um, Another favorite moment of mine was, and a lot of you guys saw me post about it on Facebook, but it was our very first week there, and it was when baby Jacob, I know a lot of you guys saw me post about him, but when we walked in and saw our very first day, actually in the NICU, our very first week, and this little baby was off in the corner, and he didn't have a blanket, and we go up to him, and we were asking about, like, their feeding schedule when they were eating, and the nurses told us that his mom had come over from Haiti, and so in Haiti, they have to pay to have babies, but in the Dominican, they don't. His mom had traveled from Haiti to the Dominican to give birth to him, but then once she gave birth to him, she left, and she went back to Haiti, and so she had no plans of returning, but she just left him in the hospital. So they don't have formula. They only give their babies breast milk because formula is extremely expensive there. They don't have access to it like we have access to it. Some of the moms had babies in the NICU were actually pumping and giving their breast milk to this baby. The nurses are telling us that and I think it touched every single one of our hearts profoundly. And I ended up asking like the nurses, well, does he, does he have a name? You know, and they told me no, he didn't have a name. 
that his mom, when she left, she just left without giving him a name or anything. And so that just made me so sad to think about this baby without a name. And so I asked who would name him. They tell me that he's going to be going to an orphanage in Santo Domingo, which is like two hours away from where we're at. He'd be leaving the next day or that Friday, I think, that the orphanage would name him somebody there. And so I was just like, well, can I name him? And honestly, when I asked, I don't think I thought that they were going to say yes. They did say yes. And so I sat there and held him for a while and we passed him around. And I was just praying that the Lord would just give me the name that he wanted this child to have. I was sitting in the chair and he was just laying on my chest. And I was going through the Bible app on my phone. And I was in Genesis. I have no idea why I was in Genesis other than it was the Lord. And I'm just going to read you the verse that that I came to when I was praying for a name for this child. And it's Genesis 28 verse 15. And it's when the Lord is talking to Jacob. Okay. And he says, look, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will never leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. I will fulfill all my promises to you. I was just felt like in that moment, just reading that, that that was God talking to this baby that was in my arms. And I was just like, his name is going to be Jacob because the Lord is never going to abandon him. He's never going to forsake him. He's never going to be alone. He's always going to have God right by his side. I was able to name him like officially on his chart, wrote it on his paperwork. And when I'd come back the next time and he was gone, the nurses were so excited to tell me that he left with a name, that he left and he got to keep Jacob and it went with him to the orphanage. He's the background on my phone. I think he will be for a really long time because it's just such a great reminder of the Lord is always with us. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. I don't have children yet, so it was the first child that I actually ever named. He's near and dear to my heart. In your prayers, you guys pray for baby Jacob that he just knows just how deeply loved and cared for he is. Not only by us that we're able to meet him when we were there, but also by God and that he can just rest firm, just rest in knowing that truth and just being spoken over his life and that he's loved and being prayed over. Such a sweet moment, one of the many that the Lord just gave me. And it is just all what the Lord was able to do in such like a short amount of time. It's so crazy to think about. But one day I had gone back to where we were staying at was only probably like 10 minutes from the hospital. So We got to go back there for lunch, me and my interpreter. And I just was having a hard day in general. It was a lot for me to feel like those. every day I was there, I was being put in a situation like one of those stories that I shared with you guys where I just felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders. Even though it truly wasn't, it was because the Lord was working through me and it was all him and it wasn't me. The weight of the world wasn't on my shoulders, but at times I just felt that I was so dependent on the Lord and he showed up every single time, but it was such like a humbling place to be. But also just knowing each baby that was put in front of me and that these nurses were just learning how to resuscitate. They had no idea what to do. That I was the only one who was there. The only one who had an idea of what to do. It was just overwhelming at times just to know that if that baby was going to live or die, that just rested in my hands. And so the Lord was so gracious and kind through me wrestling with that struggle and just feeling that weight. And he did really just like lift it off of me and just show me how I just felt so unqualified because here I'm not put in those positions where I'm the only one taking care of that baby. I'm the only one who knows how to resuscitate. There's always a practitioner. There's always a respiratory therapist. There's always a doctor right there at our bedside anytime we need it. 
And we honestly just take that for granted. And these situations that these nurses there are being put in and they don't know what to do. So I could only imagine. I was just probably feeling a piece of what they were feeling. And they just felt so hopeless because they didn't know what to do at all. And I wasn't even feeling it to the extent of what those nurses were having to feel it through. Just knowing that was really hard on me. That if that baby was going to live or die, it was in my hands. The Lord just continually reminded me that He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And in Him, I was qualified to be there. That He chose me to be there at that time. And that I just needed to allow Him to work through my hands. And that it wasn't me. And that was the biggest thing that I was able to just feel through all of that was just His gracious love. I had gone back to where we were staying at for lunch that day, and I was just feeling really heavy. I sat down to read my Bible right after I finished eating, and for some reason, I just like put my Bible in my backpack, and I don't normally take my Bible up to the hospital with me because I have my Bible on my phone, but that day, I just threw it in my backpack. We got there, and the nurse that day, who that morning, you could just tell that she wasn't completely receptive to learning. Like, She was kind of having a hard day herself. She wasn't wanting to do any extra work that day. She was tired. So it was trying to break through that barrier with her and just loving her right where she was at, but just figuring out what was going on. And so that was one of the things I was struggling with that day. But we come back, and as soon as we walk in, we walk in, and I see her reading a Bible. They had a Bible sitting at the hospital, like where the doctors were sleeping in the unit at the bedside. I'd seen it previously and so I knew exactly where it came from but she was sitting there reading her bible and so I walk in and I ask her how she's doing and she shows me what she's reading she's reading in Ephesians and so I was like I brought my bible like let's read our bibles together and so I grabbed my bible and I sat down with her and we start reading Ephesians and so she read it in Spanish and then I read it in English and it was our translator was cracking up but We were reading about being a light in the darkness. And so then I got to talk to her about being a light in the darkness. And, you know, I know how hard it is to work and to be in a situation where you're under the authority of somebody who's a non-believer. And you're just in just a dark place. But the truth is, like, the Lord calls us into those darkest places to be his light because that's where his light really does shine the brightest. We were able to just, like, sit there and talk. She opened up to me about the struggles that she was facing at home. Through that, like, was able to just pray over her and just encourage her where she was at and the struggle that she was in. Um, and just see how that prayer is so powerful. And so many times we underestimate how powerful prayer truly is. Praying over her, it was just like after that, she was a completely different person. She was a completely different nurse. It was so cool to just see that transformation in her heart that the Lord did just In that instant, just that encounter that she was able to have with him through that and just how he completely just changed her perspective. And, you know, we just got to talk about how we do what we do not for our bosses. We do what we do not for just for works or for the hospital that we're working for. Because if we did it for that, we probably wouldn't. Like, we would give up. We would quit. She just felt unnoticed, you know, uncared for in the workplace. And I can totally understand where she was at. But we do what we do for God. Every extra little thing she does for those babies, every time she takes a moment to minister to the moms who are there, like the Lord sees it all. No detail goes unnoticed by him. And so that is what we work for. And that is who we work for. That's the only person that we work for. And so once we got to talk through that, she honestly was just like a completely different person, a completely different nurse. That was just 
probably one of my other favorite moments was that. What surprised me the most was a question that I got a lot. Two things that are completely different from one another. But the first thing was just how severe the lack of education was, yet how much they had just had a heart to learn and they wanted to know more. Like they wanted, they wanted to save more babies. They didn't want to see moms have to go home without their child because they didn't know how to save them when it was a preventable death. I knew going into it that there was going to be a lot of lack of education, but honestly, just seeing the lack of education firsthand was really eye-opening for me. That and when that doctor had told me that they thought if a premature baby wasn't breathing that they would be brain dead. That really took me back and I had to process through just thinking about how many babies that we have in our NICU that come out and not breathing and they are intubated in the delivery room or they're intubated after delivery. I mean, they can be on a ventilator for a couple hours, a day, a couple weeks. You know, it's just different with every baby, but how many of our babies in the NICU have been intubated at some point, you know? And just knowing that, how many we have, and then it's got, they have to have just as many, if not more, but every single baby who needed to be intubated was dying. That just hit home for me and really surprised me because I don't think I was expecting that. I was, I don't know what I was expecting. That honestly probably shouldn't have caught me as off guard as it did, but it completely just took me off guard. Really rocked my world to know that that's how many babies that they were losing. That and in the delivery room when they told me that those babies who come out not breathing are just stillborns. And so those were the two biggest things that definitely surprised me. But on a positive note, the biggest thing that surprised me was just just to see. And I was only there for four weeks. It's not, that was not a long time um, with how much that needed to be done. But just to see in those four weeks how the Lord was able to work. And just go above and beyond anything that I could have asked for or prayed for. Um, how he was able to work in the hearts of the nurses there, just the nurses that were struggling or that didn't know the Lord and came to know the Lord or those seeds that were planted. But just to see like how big he was in all of it and how much he was really over just every single second spent in that NICU. His hand was over it. His heart is there. And just to see a glimpse into the Lord's heart for that NICU and for what's been happening there. And so that really surprised me in a good way and that was my prayer going into it like I said was Lord just surprised me but just how powerful he truly is and how he really does do more in a minute than what we could ever do in a lifetime that's how I know that what I was able to cover was just completely of him even the willingness with like administration and the doctors you know like in the states like I'm a nurse and I'm going over there and having to educate like these physicians just even the willingness from them and their openness and open hearts was really surprising and humbling and really exciting to me to know just how much that they wanted my help just as much as I wanted to give it to them. I mean, the Lord called me out of Pensacola, Florida. Nobody special called me out of Pensacola to go all the way to Oswa, Dominican Republic, where I know nobody. I don't speak their language, but he called me there to educate and to pour into those nurses, into that unit and that facility because that's how much he cares for them. That's how much he loves them there. That was just really cool to see all that play out and just how it played out and all of it. But I'm going to end on this and it honestly is just a picture of what God did and just his power. And that's honestly the only thing like I can say is just his 
power when we let him just work through us. And so it was my very last week in the Dominican. So it was week four. We had just been going over resuscitation because when I came in that Monday, Sunday night, they had lost a baby. I got there. I wasn't there when the baby had died. I wasn't there when the baby was born because I wasn't there on the weekends. And so when I got there Monday, and that was the first thing that they told me was that they had lost a baby the night before. And so I just started asking questions. I wanted to know, like, what happened? What happened with the baby? Was the baby a term baby? And come to find out, the baby was a term baby. He was a term kid. It sounded like he had probably meconium aspiration, but definitely meconium stained fluid. Came out and wasn't breathing. And so they brought him over to the NICU. They intubated him because he wasn't breathing and just gave him surfactant. But then as soon as they gave him the surfactant, they extubated him, even though he wasn't breathing. And they put him on CPAP. Because he wasn't breathing, that CPAP wasn't going to do anything for him. He needed to be intubated or bagged, and he needed somebody to breathe for him. Since they extubated and they took out the breathing tube, shortly after that, his heart stopped because he wasn't breathing. His brain wasn't getting any oxygen. His body wasn't getting any oxygen. Just knowing that and learning that and just asking a lot of questions about the scenario and how it all took place and how it all happened really made me sad to know that at that point they didn't know to keep him intubated and that they did extubate him. But the Lord really does use what was meant for evil, what was an awful, tragic loss of that child. The Lord was able to use that um, and redeem it as a teaching moment. And like, this is why we do what we do. And this is why I knew at that point what else I needed to go over for my last week there. I wish I'd known that before. I wish it was more clear before. We really were able to use it to help them grow from that loss. That mom was also still there in the hospital. And so I went to go find her and with my interpreter. Got to pray over her and she told me, you know, it was her first baby. It was a little boy. You know, it was a baby that they had prayed for and she was mourning the loss of her firstborn child. And my heart just broke for her. I could feel just how sad the Lord was for her and his broken heart. And after I prayed for her, like I just felt the heaviness of it all. But it also like fueled my passion to make a difference, to make a change, to know we can make a change. Like this doesn't have to continue to happen. It is right now the reality of what is happening there, but it doesn't have to continue to be that way. Like we can change it and the Lord's given us opportunity to change it. That just really like gave me the extra passion. Like I needed more passion for this Nikki, but really it just gave me the extra passion. I don't know, heart for what was going on there. That was my last week there. And so after that, we did resuscitation 24-7. And so I got to stay late uh, some of the weeks before to meet to stay with night shift. So I'd leave for dinner after being there all day. And then I'd come back for night shift and stay until like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning just because it was so important because that baby died on night shift that all the nurses were being educated and knew how to resuscitate, not just day shift. That was totally worth it. This is the last week that I was there and it was the very next day. I think it was that Tuesday. We come in and I'd spent all day there, like got there at 730. We ended up needing to stay 
and couldn't leave for lunch that day, which now looking back was just a God thing of why we were there. We were tired because we'd been there since so early. I mean, my interpreter when I say we. And so we just got done eating lunch and we were sitting down and this nurse comes in with this baby just over her hand and this baby's blue. Baby's not breathing and you can just immediately just see just a look of terror in her eyes. And so I'm just like, lay the baby down, like just lay the baby down. And she tells my interpreter, like, this baby's not breathing. He doesn't have a heart rate. I listened for a heart rate really quickly, and the baby did not have a heart rate at all. This baby did not have a single beat to his heart. That moment, I was just like, God, I can't do this. Like, I don't have medication to give this baby. Like, I was like, I can't do this. I can I can't save this child. This, this child is already dead. And still, like... During all that, the Lord was just so gracious and patient with me. And he was just like, I know that you can't, but I can. And I was like, but God, okay, this is Moses again. I'm like, but God, I can't do it. And he's like, I just need you to let me do it. And so I was like, okay. So I just prayed over that child and just started bagging her. It was a little girl. So we did chest compressions and just praying that... There'd be some sign of life that her heart would start beating again. Just anything. And so at that point, I after a couple minutes, like she finally started to pink up. And this is a couple minutes, okay? And so she finally starts to pink up. And I listened again for her heartbeat. And she had a heart rate that was over 100. Okay, only by the grace of God did she have that heart rate. That was only his power. I didn't have anything to help her. I didn't have the resources I needed in that moment at all. And so her heart started beating, but she still wasn't breathing for another like 15 15 minutes. But she was pink at that point. So she had a heart rate and she was pink. So we bagged her for a little while and she just debating, intubating, but because she was so pink and because I don't do that in America. I don't intubate. That's out of my scope of practice here. Since she had a good heart rate and she was so pink, we just went with bagging her until she started breathing. And then when she started breathing, we put her on CPAP. I knew at that point she had had to have taken a hit to her brain. Her brain went who knows how long without any oxygen. And so in the United States, there's a whole protocol that we follow for those babies. Obviously, we can't do that in the Dominican. We can't cool them. And I just felt like I know she's alive now. And that was only by the grace of God that she was alive. But I just started questioning. Like, I just found myself questioning, like, why? Okay, she's alive, but now what about her brain? But the truth is, like, the Lord brought her back to life. Like, why would he stop there? Like, he wasn't going to stop there. And I just knew that, like, in my heart that he was not going to stop. And so her mom came in shortly after we set her up on the CPAP. And she comes in, and she's only 17. She just comes in, and they had told her how sick her baby was and what had happened. And so she comes in crying. And I told her, your baby is only alive right now because of God. I was like, that is the only reason your baby is alive. I was like, I did not save your child. God did. It's like, I don't know the plans the Lord has for your baby. But I can promise you that this child has such purpose and the Lord has such big plans for her. And she was just like, yes, like the Lord saved my baby. And then I was like, do you know Jesus? I was like, do you know God? And she said no, that she didn't. And so then I asked her if she just knew who Jesus was, what she had heard about Jesus. And she told me like everything she knew about Jesus. She knew that he was the son of God. She knew that he died for her sins, but she had never asked him into her heart. And so she's saying that she wants to take this baby to church to be dedicated to God. And, and so I asked her if she just wants to pray over this child with me. And so 
We laid hands on her and we prayed over her that the Lord would just heal her completely, that she would have no side effects from that lack of oxygen to her brain. Because not only did she not have oxygen in her brain when they brought her to me, but I have no idea how long she didn't have a heart rate for before they brought her to me. So it could have been, it takes it, they don't have much of a sense of urgency. It's just a different culture. It could have been a while before she even, that nurse even brought her into me. So I don't know how long she went without a heartbeat at all. Knowing that, we just prayed over her and just had complete faith and healing. And then when we got done praying, I just asked that mom. I was like, you know, I was like, do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? And she said that she did. And so right there over her child, she just welcomed Jesus into her heart, asked him to be a part of her life. And we just got to lead her through that prayer. And what an amazing salvation to just come out of that situation. Not only did God save her baby and bring her baby back to life, but she also came to know the Lord through that miracle that happened. It really was just a miracle. And like, you know, we hear about it and we don't, we hear about miracles all the time, but we don't think that it'll ever be our miracle or we'll witness it for some reason. I don't know. That's always just been like, I completely believe in miracles, but had I seen one like that firsthand? Absolutely not. God is really a God of miracles yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so we can just have faith in that. It's actually the verse that I have on this necklace that I got before I went to the Dominican. And I wear it around my neck every single day. And I'm just going to read you this verse. And it's John 14, 12 to 14. And it's just one that was in my prayers leading up to it. And it was just the reminder that God just kept speaking over me was this. Just knowing going into it that my hands were not my own hands. That it was his hands. And I was just the vessel that he was using in that moment. I just love this verse in John 14, 12 to 14. And this is truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Not only do we have the power in us running through our veins, that resurrection power, because our Lord is so great to give that to us because Jesus took the cross for all of our sins. And now that resurrection power can live in us. But his word says not only will we do the works that he did, right? And so what did Jesus do? He healed the blind. He cured the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. You know, those are all things that Jesus did that he says, if the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. But not only will we do the works that he will do, but we will do greater works than these because he went to be with the Father. Just knowing that, that that's truth, that's scripture, that's written, that's done. Just knowing that going into it all was just something I found peace in and just knowing that he just asked for a willing heart. He just asked for obedience and he is going to show up and do the rest. If we just have the faith as small as a mustard seed, because I promise you in that moment when I'm looking at this baby who doesn't have a heart rate, I don't know the faith that I had in that moment. It wasn't as strong as I wish I could say it was, but just praying to God and him just being so sweet to honor my prayer of like, Lord, I can't do this, you know, because the truth is we can't do it, but he can. And him just showing that to me was just really incredible. And it's just a miracle that I just want to share with what just he did. That is pretty much all of the stories that I have or all the ones that I'm going to share tonight. So I left the Dominican knowing that it wasn't the end, but it was just going to be a beginning of 
just something so much greater, something so much more than just a month there. I didn't know what it was going to look like or even how it was going to happen. And honestly, I still don't. But working with one more child has been just such a blessing. One of the things that mom, that mom whose baby was raised from the dead, said to me before I left. We were standing around and I was saying goodbye to the nurses on my very last day. And just telling them, you know, what you do, the Lord sees. The Lord sees your faithfulness. He sees your servant's heart. He sees you going, doing that one extra step for those patients. It doesn't go unnoticed by him. So it's worth it. It's worth it to stay the extra hours. It's worth it to put in the extra work to just save one more child. And I know the organization that I was able to go through. The name of it is One More Child. Going through and witnessing everything I was, I witnessed while being there, it just gave those words, One More Child, completely different meaning because it honestly was to save the life of just one more child. As I'm sharing this with those nurses and saying goodbye to them, that baby's mom comes in and she catches the end of our conversation because, mind you, I speak in English and I do it for my interpreter to translate. She catches the part from me telling her, like, just do it. Just do it for one more child because it's worth it for that one more. And she walks in and she hears that part. And she looks at us and she said, my baby is the one more. Do it for babies like my baby. Just one more. And that, like just wrecked me it's just for one more and what purpose it is and just the hard work that goes into it it's so worth it just for one life to be saved for one more child to be saved through this ministry opportunity that the lord's given us and one more life who has been given to christ to be through that that was just a really cool moment but just knowing that i just knew that it wasn't ending that when i was saying goodbye it wasn't goodbye for good that I would be back and that it was just prayerfully was going to be an ongoing ministry there, an ongoing partnership with that hospital. And because it's not just going and using our God-given talents, but it's using our God-given talents to glorify the Lord. And first and foremost, it's a ministry. First and foremost, like what we're going to do is to share Jesus with them, is to share, share the gospel, to take advantage of all the opportunities that the Lord places in front of us to be able to pray with those nurses, with the doctors, with the parents, over the babies. Like I said, just prayer is so powerful. So while saving the lives of the babies, we also are getting to minister. And so I'm just really excited. And I just know the Lord's provided up to this point. And he just provides an abundance. And he truly has shown that to me. Um, and I'm just so grateful for all the support that I have received. I cannot thank you guys enough for all the support that's been given to me and continues to be given to me. So thank you guys all so much for your generosity and your gift. The prayers that you guys have been pouring into this ministry and coming up beside me in that is just so appreciated. And so I know that you guys are going to be continuing to pray over that. And that just gives me such peace to know so many people in my community are coming up alongside me in this and see the vision and see the heart behind it. And I just pray that that continues. All glory to God for all of this. He really just goes above and beyond with everything that we ask Just because you hear that story from Tori and you think, oh yeah, like God's using her, that's amazing. That could be you too. All we have to do, like she said, is say yes. 
and just have that obedient heart. It is all God and she is just willing to say yes. And so we can do that. You know, it's so funny. Before I started this podcast, God gave me two names of people that I was supposed to build a podcast around. And she was one of the names that God revealed to me. And I think that's so awesome that God's using this to be able to share some of her experiences through serving in the Dominican Republic and just share that love. And so I just ask that as you close in this episode, please pray. Pray for baby Jacob. Pray for the NICU clinic there. That education will continue to proceed even if Tori's not there that they are going to just continue saving lives and loving as Christ does. If you feel called to give to Tori, there is a link below. So a huge thank you to Tori for what you do in general, for also for allowing me to share part of your story. And thank you to Elizabeth Carnes for stripping the audio from the Facebook Live video. I'm so grateful for that. As always, the music that you are listening to is from my awesome friend, Christy Masing. All links to her music are in the show notes. Please go check them out. Feel free to reach out to me if you need anything. I would love to connect with you. On Instagram, I'm at Coley Browning. That's K-O-H-L-I-E and Browning like the rifle. You can also visit my website. That's ColeyBrowning.com. I'm so thankful for you guys being here and enjoying this episode with my beautiful friend, Tori Osborne. Until later, you guys. Go out into this world and be bold, be brave, and be you. And remember that he is still with you.